Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome to the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. Richard Lusk over here. Ryan Bull over there. Howdy. How are you, sir? Doing well. This is July the 4th, 2018. Yep, we're recording episode 211 today. Celebrating American independence and the American Special Forces Black Ops units. (laughs) From Matt Graber on down to Alejandro Gillick in Day of the Sicario. Adios. I know who you are. You're the attorney whose family they killed. Not they. My father. And now you hunt them. Adios. Or whatever. Sicario 2. What is it? Sicario 2 around the world here in the United States. It's Sicario Day of the Soul Dado. Oh, I thought you said, when you said that, I thought that you meant the title was Sicario 2 Around the World. No. Sicario 2 colon Around the World. No, this is much like um, Live, Die, Repeat. Oh, Edge multiple times. Yeah. That film where, you know, they kept changing the title. The Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt movie, strangely enough. Oh, yeah, um, Emily and, Blunt was in that. Yeah, and she was in Sicario, hmm. the the original film. She did not make it in for the sequel. Uh, the Black Widow of naming uh, conventions for movies. Yeah. All right, so that's our film review for uh, for this week. Is going to be uh, Sicario. Day of the Soldado. Day of the Soldado. This is um, from IMDb. This is the... Uh, Background information, FBI agent Matt Graver, played by Josh Brolin, calls on mysterious operative Alejandro Gillick, who was played by uh, Benicio Del Toro. When Mexican drug cartels uh, start to, to smuggle terrorists across the U.S. border, the war escalates further when Alejandro and Matt Graver do a false flag operation. That's about all I want to say about that. I guess maybe that's, that's fair. it's kind of hard to hide the... I mean, I don't really have to be worried about any sort of... The, the, the mission goes south. I mean, that's given away by all the trailers. Yeah, all right. I didn't haven't seen any trailers, so... Except for the, the shot of um, Alejandro actually shooting someone. I saw that sh- several times. I, that's where I would close my eyes in the, in the movie theater. I was a bit uh, surprised by that. Why? Uh, because he was bump firing. Yeah. And, and after those bump stocks, you know, there was all the outrage after the Las Vegas oh. shooter used a bump stock. Now, you know, he's using his finger basically as a yeah, bump stock. Yeah, but nobody nobody knows that. Nobody would know that, really, I don't think, unless you're a gun enthusiast. But there's a lot of controversy surrounding this film. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know that it would make any difference to the people that were marketing it, the people that put it together. They kind of, I think that they enjoy the fact that we're in this weird um sort of political situation because it create it helps to create the miasma that surrounds the the actual film itself. So um I guess 
the thing I was trying to avoid was the the young girl element, but there's a young girl that's sort of been kidnapped, and uh, these two men have to determine her fate. That's sort of the basic plot line of the movie. This is written by uh, Taylor Sheridan, who wrote the original Sicario, and uh, I think he wrote and directed Wind River, which is the last movie I saw of his. Uh, he also wrote the screenplay for Hell or High Water, which was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, good movie. And right now, the TV show Yellowstone. Yeah. Starring um, uh, Kevin, Kevin Costner. Costner. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote that. Yeah, he's pretty big into that now. So that, that's that's where he's getting a lot of critical acclaim. I guess he's also an actor. Um, but he's the only holdover of the major filmmakers from the last movie, other than the actors themselves, because uh, I guess the director was Denis of Sicario was Denis Villeneuve, and it's now he's now been replaced by a guy named Stefano Solima, which is an Italian, mm-hmm. which in, adds an interesting perspective. Because he's a, an Italian commenting on geopolitical um, interactions between the United States and Mexico. And if you listen to him interviewed, he seems to claim this movie for himself. Like he's, he's making a lot of... Well, he's done movies about kind of these corrupt worlds before. I think his biggest film, or most well-known, is ACAB. All which, Cops Are Bastards? Yeah. Well, And what is that based on? I didn't see... Just a very similar style, just the grittiness and just you know no one is really a good guy type um uh there was a brazilian series of films i know you were big on them oh yeah uh, uh can't i can't remember the yeah. name of them now but uh, yeah the, the, those are those are pretty slick movies um and but we're dealing with this type of world um man on fire do you remember that denzel washington oh, film God, where the, the kid gets kidnapped but i mean again it's that gritty <laughs> underworld and the book that that was based on was originally based in Italy. The first film uh, they made back in the late 80s was set in Italy, but by the time Tony Scott got around to making the remake, mm-hmm. uh, Mexico had become the kidnapping capital of the world. Oh, okay. So I think you know, like the corrupt government and you know the real seedy underworld is very similar in both Italy and Mexico. So. Well, we're talking about major cartels and mafios and i mean i guess they operate in the same uh atmosphere there's also the cinematographer uh roger deakins of sicario was replaced by a guy named darius volsky and he has a pretty impressive resume in terms of uh the kinds of movies that we we're just talking about like those kind of slick morally ambiguous movies um i noticed he did the counselor which a lot of people didn't like, but I kind of like personally. I, I, I think it was not that bad of a movie, but it's it's operating in that same sort of uh, morally ambiguous areas that this movie does. Um, and then the movie we, that was on Netflix, I think, or Amazon Prime, War Machine. So oh, he was a cinematographer of that, which I like that movie as well because it plays with both sides of, of the issue. And I think that's kind of where this movie is. Uh I'm not sure if it's trolling exactly, but I, I do think that they, that the movie itself, the the screenwriter, the director, and even the cinematographer are presenting a uh, uh, concept that you can take from two different perspectives, and then determine for yourself what the uh, you know what the message is. If there is any message. From a lot of the reviews I've read, it seems like people are trying to say that the director and 
um, the cinematographer trying to copy the style of Sicario, you know, one. But to me, these guys, they already have a similar style, and that's probably why they were chosen for this film. Um, you know, movies like The Counselor um, and War Machine, they have that harsh lighting to them. There's not a whole lot of cinem- cinematic lighting to mm-hmm. it. it. It's just, you know, really just bright, bright sunlight. Uh, so, to me, that guy already has a similar style. You know, well, I, I, <sighs> The cinematographer? Yeah, the cinematographer, the director, from what I've seen, you know, he likes hard-hitting action. Though there's not a whole lot of it in this film, I mean there are moments. Yeah, there are a lot of there's a lot of tension. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, uh, some of the stuff that made Sicario great uh, was the 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 shootouts and the um, the ramping up to the to the conflict, and then the actual you know when it would um, sort of explode in explosions. So there were a lot of those in this. There were fewer in Sicario. Sicario had some of those things that sort of hit you by surprise. Like the opening sequence of Sicario sort of sold the movie. Mm-hmm. The opening sequence of this movie was sort of telegraphed. And I mean, it was intense and controversial, which I guess we can get into in a minute, but it was at least enough to, um, to, to set that tone. Yeah. I mean, if there are any callbacks to the original movie, it seems to come more from the screenplay than anything, which would make sense because yeah. he is the, the one holdover. Uh, ironically, that's probably where the, the place where the movie falls apart most for me is yeah. in the screenplay. <laughs> so. it's, it's sadly, I mean, we're both big fans of Taylor Sheridan, but yeah, this might be his most unsuccessful work, at least on the page. Yeah, this is more Wind River than Hell or High Water, but there are things that bother me that we can get into later that I don't necessarily want to talk about now. I guess, though, the thing that I'm interested in your point of view is it i mean i understand why the critics don't like it necessarily i guess it's got like 63 percent, whereas sicario the original movie was at like 95 mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the thing that surprises me is that the audience that went to see it doesn't necessarily like it like it's it's 66 with the audience score on rotten tomatoes and i'm i'm trying to figure out why i, I know what my problems are with it but I, I have i nitpick a lot more than other people so what do you think when we came out of the theater, the first thing I, I said to you was, I liked the movie. I would have liked it more if I hadn't seen Sicario. It, it, you know, it's one of those, it pales in comparison. And I don't think you needed to see Sicario in order to see this film. Mm-hmm. Um, it would it, In your estimation, it would have been a better movie. Yeah. Because then it doesn't have some sort of legacy to live up to. And thinking about both films, I think the biggest difference is the lack of the Emily Blunt character. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not needed in this film, you know, from a character perspective, but as a conduit for the audience, someone for us to root for and for us to follow along with, because in that movie, as Emily Blunt uh, figured out elements of the plot, we, we were there at the same time mm-hmm. learning with her. So, you know, she, she was our vessel into understanding the film. This movie lacks any sort of conduit, any sort of moral center. This film doesn't really have a protagonist. It doesn't really have an on-screen antagonist. I mean, at, at moments, people pop up to be an antagonist, but there's no... We, we never spend a scene with the antagonist and see them plotting. Well, it might be 
it might be that it doesn't have a protagonist. It might be that it has too many protagonists, or it has too many different perspectives. Well, and then yeah, and people are shifting. You know, right? You, you can argue Josh Brolin is both the protagonist and the antagonist of this yeah, film different at points. various points. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it hard for an audience because we have no one to root for. We have no one to side with. We're just watching this, and it becomes a bit of a mess. Um, it reminds me more of a movie like Seriana, the George Clooney spy mm-hmm. thriller, where people, at, you know, at the end, they're like, "I think I liked it. I just don't know what happened." Right. Because it's trying to show you just how convoluted these uh, world events can be. Right. And you know how every side, and and it's not just a two sided issue, but every side has objectives that they want to achieve whether or not it actually helps them with their overall goal and right we're not sure why people are doing things well that that's the main problem i have with this movie in terms of screenplay is character motivations because and character and, and group motivations and ge- generally like why are people doing the things that they're choosing to do at any given time mm-hmm. and it for me, it just it all falls apart with any level of scrutiny. That's why, I, stylistically, I, I kind of loved it. I kind of, I kind of like. I mean, I was getting a lot of the lines, and some of the, you know, the actions and behaviors of some of the characters. But at the end of the day, if I go back and watch it again, I think I'll I'll like it even less. Well, they're also trying to make this like this idea of you know it's the soldier's journey and and the soldiers just following orders. And, and that maybe the, the soldier doesn't have to get things explained to him. And, and we also see a, a young teenage boy becoming a soldier for the Mexican cartel. And I think in some ways his journey and his experiences are supposed to mirror Josh Brolin's characters. Uh, and you know, uh, okay. do, do, okay. doing distasteful things because you're being ordered from above to do these things. I think the movie's trying to link the two of them up. Uh, all right. I would argue that Matt Graver, Josh Brolin's character, likes doing what he does. <laughs> I don't think he, he needs to be compelled it, it, to do it. At times, there are some things later on yeah. in the movie. Yeah, where he questions the the decision-making. But when he's when he's in charge, mm-hmm. uh, then I guess he he's kind of into it. But you're right. If he is being ordered by some entity from above or some something from where he doesn't have control, then... I guess he has to chafe against that. So that's an interesting comparison. I didn't really think about those two uh, characters being sort of analogs for each other. Uh, I guess is the character is Miguel Hernandez, played by a newcomer, Elijah Rodriguez. Uh, I've never seen him in anything. I think he's in a movie coming out uh, soon, and he did some voice acting. But I, when I looked up his IMDb B page, I didn't really recognize him because of his... Because of the way that he's sort of shoehorned into this movie, I have a lot of uh, bitterness towards that character as well. It It's like the character in Sicario 1, there's a cop, like a corrupt cop in Sicario 1, who's kind of, his motivations for doing things are clear. I mean, he can't really provide for his family unless he does X, Y, and Z in the first movie. This kid, eh, just whatever, kind of... Skipping school, hanging out with his drug druggy cousins, and then he had, but he his interactions are much more important in the second movie, and, and there's a lot of just coincidence that happens with these actions. What do you mean, his interactions in the second movie? Uh, the the kid he he pops up a couple times throughout the film, and because of 
moments where he pops up early in the film, it has very big ramifications oh, okay. later on. Um, where in Sicario 1, when we're with the corrupt cop and we're seeing his daily life, right. he does run into the main characters later on in the film, but it's kind of incidental. It, it right. doesn't really matter. Right. I, I see that their, their, uh, their two journeys are not intertwined necessarily yeah. as much. Yeah, even though they intersect, they intersect in ways that are not really that impactful on the overall plot. It, it doesn't veer us off into a different course. The two circles of the Venn diagram don't yeah. match up as well. And, and I think that's why it's more palatable in the first film. Nah, maybe. It, it also might be that I sympathize or empathize with the character in the first film, whereas this kid, I have no sympathy or empathy for at all. And even when they, the movie's trying to make you feel a certain way about him... I think it still it didn't work for me. Maybe that's because I'm a cold-hearted bastard myself. Same thing with the girl, the the young teenage girl that Alejandro, uh, for whatever reason, gets all Logan with. She didn't endear any sort of positive feelings in me. Okay, let me ask you a question then about her. All right, because uh, there's been a lot of talk online uh, earlier on in the movie. Josh Brolin, when he's talking to the Secretary of Defense. Matthew Modine? Yeah, his character. And they're asking, James you know, Riley. how would you fight this war? You know, do you take out the heads of the cartels? And Josh Brolin says something effective. Killing kings only makes more kings. Okay. If you want to fight this war, you kidnap a prince. Yeah. And that'll make the king go to war. A lot of people are upset that he said prince, and instead they kidnap a princess. Oh, Is there? Okay. Do you think that there's some sort of motivation on Josh Brolin's part? In order to sell this mission, it's more palatable if they're kidnapping a male versus a female. Uh, I, no, I don't know. I didn't even think about that. I guess he, 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 it may be that, all right, now that I think about it, it could be that they didn't know what they were going to do, and that's why the plan ultimately falls apart. Or does it? I don't know. I mean, sorry, spoiler. <laughs> I mean, but online they have such, you know, D- different views. It's everything from this is just bad screenplay writing to what you're saying versus, you know, this shows a lot of subconscious misogyny or whatever, yeah. male directed. Or, you know, this is part of Josh Brolin's master plan. He actually intended for all this to happen. And I'm like, ah. well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I think they give him way too much credit. He's just a black ops operative who's is got he, a new toolbox. Is he effective at his job? well one would argue yes at some points in the movie and then some would argue no i mean it it depends because ultimately what is his job i mean if it's to be a loki sort of you know uh instigator then yeah i guess so i mean he did a lot (laughs) he created a war between america and mexico (laughs) essentially i mean in the movie he sort of did what he was tasked to do I don't know. I, we're getting way too much into okay. spoiler territory for me to talk around it in a, any meaningful way. But going back to your question earlier about the girl, instead, like if he had just changed it from king to princess or prince to princess, I, I don't think that the metaphor works. I don't think it. I think I think it's just you know this is where we are in a male centered world, and it's interesting that that his handler in the movie is played by Catherine Keener. Uh, I guess, let me see, her name in the movie, uh, I don't know, I just wrote down her name as Government Bureaucrat Functionary. Cynthia Ford. <laughs> and I guess she has some sort of uh, relationship with 
Brolin or uh, Graver's character beforehand. It seemed like there was some history or backstory yeah, or something. Yeah, they each other a lot. Um, it's an interesting role. Uh, she's also in The Incredibles 2. Okay. This summer. Yeah, so I've been getting a lot of Catherine Keener in the last <laughs> Catherine week. Catherine so. Keener overload. She was in Book Club too, I think. Oh no, maybe not. And she sounds a lot like Deborah Winger. Catherine Keener, Deborah Winger. Yeah. Huh. So hmm. I don't like, know if that makes any difference. Oh, what, well, from I, the ranch. You've been watching yeah, a lot of the I've ranch. Been watching the ranch, <laughs> okay. and I saw <laughs> Officer and a Gentleman recently again. Oh wow! And I'm like, man, Catherine Keener sounds a lot like Deborah Winger. So that was what was going through my head the whole time. <laughs> so. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's interesting. She's the only strong female. I mean, the the girl, the kidnapped girl, is kind of just all over the place. Her her character is not consistent. Right, that inconsistency might be a result of her age, but it also just might again be poor screen screenwriting. I don't know. Um, when I saw Matthew Modine, I thought, oh, Private Joker's come a long way. Oh, well, that's right. He was in uh, The Dark Knight. He's a Secretary of Defense. Well, he was Private Joker in a, um, a oh, oh. Full Metal Jacket. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah. It's that's like right. he's had a long military career. Well, then he went he was Gotham City or Chief of Police. He was in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, he was I thought he was also there. briefly in Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. He's had a long career, a long mm-hmm. storied career from Gotham City to the Secretary of Defense. So. Anyway, that's what I thought. Yeah. So overall, would you recommend this film to people? Yeah, one time. Go see it once. Can you wait for it to come out on video? I'll never. I I I can never. I don't. I don't like that argument. Okay. I mean, it depends on your home theater setup, I suppose. But there's definitely something about there's something about the movie in the movie theater that makes it this movie, in most movies in particular, but this movie, I think you'd need to see it in the theater in order to get the full effect. Cause, um, let's see the, 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 um, the music score mm-hmm. by Hilder. I don't even know if I can pronounce this. Gwanda Natortori. I don't know. It was oppressive throughout the film. I mean, it was always there and it was always pounding on you. Uh, apparently she was the collaborator with Johan, Johan Johansson, who scored the first film, but then he passed away before this movie could be made. So she was a frequent collaborator with him and she sort of, um, I guess took up the reins. And I think that the music is very important to the movie, at least in terms of forcing the tone and, and putting you in the mindset, putting you in the situation of, of tension and intensity, which I don't think you're going to get if you're like, you know, feet up on the coffee table uh, doorbell rings. Yeah, here comes FedEx. Okay, so you're saying if, if you have an interest, go see this in theaters. Yes, for the score. Uh, I think I'm a. I think you can wait for this to come out on HBO, or you know, just rent it when it's out on Redbox or something. I I don't think you have to see this in theaters, and I'm not just saying that because of the box office challenge. I don't know if I would have seen it in. Uh, I I don't know if I would have watched the whole thing on t- on TV. Yeah, I probably would have. It's nice and it's a good enough movie, but yeah, I, I think this could be a nice surprise movie. You know, where you just kind of find it when you're flicking through and go, okay. <laughs> I mean, sure, movies are better on the big screen, but <laughs> if you're on the fence, I mean, if you liked Sicario, if you weren't over the moon, like I think my dad was like, hey, it's all right. The the first film, and I was like, Dad, this is awesome. <laughs> I was like, eh, 
Like, I wouldn't tell him to go to the theater. I'd be like, no, just wait till you're flipping through the channels and you find it on TNT in four years. I tried to show the bridge scene from Sicario 1 in one of my classes as a study in tension and suspense. And they didn't really get it. One of my film classes last year, a couple of years ago, maybe. It wasn't as intense for them, I guess, because they had no feelings towards the characters. They didn't really understand what was going on. So and didn't know how brutal that. the movie was willing to get. Yeah, I guess they were just like, oh, what was that? You know, sort of like a um, chestburster scene in Alien. <laughs> You're just like, what did I just watch? <laughs> you know, yeah. that's kind of how they felt about Sicario. But what would you give it a scale of 1 to 10? Uh, probably a, a solid 7. Ooh. Wow, I'd give it a 6 or 7. Maybe a 7 in the theater, but probably only a 5 <laughs> on the small screen. Yeah, but your top movie of the year probably gets an 8. No, I don't maybe know. Maybe a that. nine. Maybe uh, Hereditary is probably a nine right now. Ooh, okay. I think Hereditary is a nine. I don't even know if I like that movie. <laughs> you, you might be right. It might be an eight or a nine. Yeah. Uh, All right. I, I don't rank. I mean, we we always do the the year in review and do our top ten films. I don't know if this makes my top ten. Where you know, I walked out of Sicario, and I think one of the first things I told you after that was, "This is a movie that should be nominated for an award." Right. And it was nominated for three Academy Awards. It wasn't for Best Picture. And a lot of people were upset because that year only eight films were nominated. And they could have put up ten. And this was one of those that was left off. Hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why Hell or High Water did get nominated. I think, you know, people respond to this type of film. I'm not sure what we would call this gritty subgenre of action drama movies. Well, I would... All right, I'll put it to you like this, because I, th- I thought about this a lot. You mentioned uh, that it's supposed to be part of a bigger series, or a trilogy at least. This reminds me of a 2018 version of uh, the board, the uh, the uh, Dollars trilogy. Like, oh. those, uh, the Sergio Leone Spaghetti Westerns with had Lee Van Cleef and uh, Clint Eastwood in it. Yeah. Those movies are not really trilogies. I mean, they're the character, the man with no name, he has a name in one of the movies. I think his name is Joe. And then they call him Blondie in another movie. And then I guess some hey, Bud or something like that. I'm not even convinced that they're the same character. So in a lot of ways, like if you look at those three movies, the they they kind of work because they're they have some of the same characters and some of the same settings and you know. Well, they have the same actors playing different parts. Like, Lee Van Cleef is in two films and plays two very different characters. But but they're both bounty hunters. Okay, yeah. So, the, I mean, you, it would be, you'd be hard-pressed to tell the difference between them if you, you could cut the movies together all at once and come up with, like, a grand master cut. But it, you would have to take it out of sequence. They don't follow a sequential order. You know what I mean? That's how I kind of view this. This seems to me like uh, these characters are doing these things. These types of characters are doing these types of things. In these movies, because um, you know it's kind of cool, I guess, dealing with drug cartels on the on the southwest border. Yeah. So that's how, that's kind of how I look at yeah, it. Trilogy. So anyway, uh, are we going to do any kind of spoiler things? Sure. Let's get spoilers. So the m- spoilers. <laughs> the main problem that I had with the movie is you got the CIA, the FBI, and the DEA. Through the whole thing, I was just going WTF because I couldn't understand why characters were doing certain things. 
what 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 the goals were, what the motivation. Well, it seemed like they were trying to shut down the border because terrorists were coming in, <laughs> but they were also coming in via Somalia because that's where they got the one guy that they tortured. Right, we had to go to Somalia so we could torture some people. In yeah, the movie. And they're smuggling guys into Mexico, and then they're crossing the border. And then at the end of the movie, there's a throwaway line that some of the guys who blow up the Target store, whatever it's supposed to be, the whatever department right. store. We're homegrown. Yeah. Right? You know, they were from Detroit. Right. The narrative has changed. And it's like, I, I thought we're trying to shut down the drug cartel. That That's what the first film was more about. But at some point, that operation stopped. Yeah, it's Benicio del Toro has relocated to Colombia and seems to be living a quiet life down there. <laughs> yeah, with very sparse furniture. And then we don't really see much from the cartels. Like the girl's father, does he want to get her back? We never see him. I mean, granted, in the first film, we don't see the bad guys ever have just a scene to themselves. Well, kind of. We have the whole, the ending of the first movie, Sicario. We're going to spoil Sicario too here because okay. in order to be able to talk about this, we have to talk about the motivations of Alejandro, the um, Benicio del Toro character. He goes to the, uh, the drug Lord's house and kills him and his family. Yeah. But I mean, that's, a, that's a scene that's centered around our protagonist, Benicio del Toro. I'm just saying the bad guys in isolation. It, oh, it's it's right. not like in a Batman movie, we get scenes with just the Joker and his henchmen plotting. Okay. But this movie, this movie does have some of that with the, with the human traffickers or whatever, the, the coyotes. Yeah. But if anything, I mean, it feels like we're always just really far down the food chain of these cartels. It doesn't feel like they're ever getting anywhere. Yeah, because setting any sort of order and balance. Well, the, the, the very first, all right, there's so many questions and I, it's easy to nitpick. So I don't really want to get into that, but at some point they kidnap the girl, they bring her to America and then they stage this elaborate rescue and then they're going to take her back over to Mexico. So this is all organized with through with the uh, whatever black ops unit Graver is working with, the Department of Defense somehow, and the Mexican Federal Police. When they get into Mexico, they get they they get ambushed by members of the Mexican Federal Police, RPGs, all kinds of stuff coming at them indiscriminately. To what end? Yeah. Well, who, firstly, who's doing that? And then why? What, what, what is the, what is the purpose of any of that? Other than it kind of looked cool. Uh, no, I, I agree. Who we, was, we don't who know. was, you don't know? No, you don't, I, you don't I, have I don't an know. answer either. Okay. I don't have an answer because I was hoping me, you had an answer. <laughs> I couldn't find it. They, an they don't know which vehicle the girl's in and you can't tell. Are they trying to actively kill the girl? Or are they trying to rescue the girl? Cause if they're trying to rescue her, they're they're being very blasé about the whole thing, you know. Oh, hopefully we don't hit her with our fifty cal machine guns that we're firing at point right, RPGs from yeah. across the desert in cloud storms. It, ugh, God, that was so annoying to me. I was just like, well, and and then it's only annoying in that at the end of the movie you, you don't get a reasonable explanation for it. Yeah, no, I mean there are definitely moments where we just want to do something cool. At the end of the film, when Belnicio del Toro is driving the truck. And a car comes out of nowhere to guy? attack him. Who are they? Why were they even sent to check? Why would anyone think something's up there? Oh, jeez. But, you know, it's cool. Look, he tossed a grenade in their car. Yeah, so they cool. stopped firing at him. And then he comes back to life again for the third or fourth time. 
He he's he's like uh, um, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, but Jason or something. When they did that shot, when he got shot, I'm like, that's awfully low. Because normally you get a nice brain shot, nice high in the skull. And right. I'm like, that that's low. I'm like, are they going to try it? I, I thought they were going to do, yeah, through and through. Oh, th- this is what I was thinking. This is how the movie, th- the movie screwed me over because they've set up Alejandro Gillick to be the quintessential cool hitman. I mean, he's the his, Sicario of the first one. Sicario means hitman. He's the Sicario of the first movie. He's the Sicario of this movie. He's deliberate. He's in whatever way principled. He's motivated in you know, he's going to kill the person that killed his family twice in two different movies. But at the end, at, at the very end, he starts freaking out. I think he would have taken it like a man. He would have, he would have known what was coming and he would have just kind of taken it. He wouldn't have been slobbering and yelling and screaming and fighting against this elaborate, um, sort of James Bond execution setup because it's over. And he knew that he knew that taking those steps up to that point. So, Everything that happens there, I assumed it was a different character. I assumed yeah. that they just because they had they had bag over his head, so I just assumed that this couldn't be Alejandro. It's got to be somehow. It's got to be someone else. And then there's going to be yeah, a twist at the I, end. I, I thought about that, but when the first kid's told to shoot him and doesn't, I didn't realize they pulled a switcheroo on us at first. With that, oh, you thought it was the same kid? Those, those two kids look so much alike, right? No. And I thought, oh, they can't pull that exact same trick again. And then the, the shot's low, but it, it, it was just a little bit too much. It was too stylized and too ridiculous. It stretched the limits of credulity too much to, to be satisfying. It's similar to Wind River, the Wind River shootout in front of the, um, well, the trailers there. I remember I had some problems with the way that was staged and, and sort of put together. I know that it was good. I liked it. I appreciated it, but there were still some things that that yeah. just sort of pulled me away from it. That's what happened with this movie and this kind of like But that weird. I guess I, I could take a little bit more cuz it's all right, these guys are caught off guard. They're kind of just freestyling in the moment. Where this it's like, "Oh, let's get 40 guys all together and go to this tiny quarry and Yeah, and shoot there, a guy. They were 10 minutes out. They were the uh, Matt Graver and his and his Black Hawk helicopters were 10 minutes away and it was pitch black in the middle of the night. And they do, it, it must've taken them at least 10 minutes to get out to this quarry. Well, I also didn't understand if things had gone fine for Belnicio del Toro and they start to cross the border, they've got that trigger sending out a signal to Josh Brolin. Right. Josh Brolin's come for him anyway. And Brolin has already warned Belnicio del Toro. We're going to wipe you guys out. Right. So why set off this? He, I guess he assumed the Graver GPS. was going to protect the girl because he gives the GPS to the girl. But again, if everything goes fine, Brolin shows up and they're walking with a bunch of illegals and he's expecting Brolin's going to have this change of heart. I, yeah, I don't know. Again, th- those motivations, just things aren't clear. It's more, let's just watch things. Are they visually cool? I, how did he get 2000 bucks to give to the coyotes? He was handed money by Brolin before he went looking for the girl. So he just he's got some folding money, some walking around he's, money. He's given a fairly thick. <laughs> All right, thing here, take this. Give me the change. You 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 fly all by. I also like it. <laughs> the girl's been on the run for three minutes, 
in the flat desert. <laughs> Let, let's just go over this little sand right. dune and look around with some binoculars. There she is. I, yeah. Yeah. It, she makes more distance than the <laughs> convoy at the end of the film that gets blindsided by Josh Brolin's character. Because Benicio Del Toro just walks up the hill. <laughs> right. And there they are. Right. Yeah, she's powerful, that girl. Yeah, she yeah. makes some distance. Uh, yeah. yeah. So. All right. I guess there's more stuff that we could say, but I don't really want to anymore. <laughs> the, the last thing. Do you think Jeremy Saulnier would have been better? The director of Green Room and Blue mm. Ruin. He was attached to this film for a little bit, but he dropped out um, because he's got a movie coming out, Hold the Dark, later yeah. this year. I. His style is so so much different than than uh, than these two guys, than Stefano, Solima, and uh, and Denis Villeneuve. I don't I don't really know if I would like it better. I, I think the scope of this movie is would have been too much for the for the style of Saulnier, and that's what I like about his movies is they're sort of those pocket dramas where they take place with a limited number of characters. This movie had you know, unlimited characters and side plots seem more like a, like a mini series than, than a, than a type of movie like green room or blue ruin. So I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think I would have liked that too much. Why do you think he's going to be in the third one? No, I don't think he'll direct next one. I, I think here soon he gets offered some bigger franchise type film. Huh. I would have liked to see him do this. If nothing else, he would have cast his buddy, Macon Blair, as one of the you oh, know, yeah. you operatives, seen that, guy. that would have been awesome. And giving him see. a call out. Because I was glad that the, the guy with the thin mustache and the glasses was back as an operator in this film. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that guy was cool in the Jeffrey first Jeffrey Donovan. Yeah. Yeah, the, he's in a movie coming out next year called Extremely Violent, or no, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, about Ted Bundy. He's going to be, he's not going to be Ted Bundy, but I think... Uh, Zach Efron's yeah, going to be tough. Yeah, I was going to ask, yeah, isn't that Zac Efron? It's an interesting title. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. I like that guy. He was in um, Burn Notice. The thing that surprised me about this movie, and one place where it could have elevated itself, is they could have they could have off that guy in this movie because he's a he's a good character in this movie. But it seems like at the end of the day, I'm not sure of any operatives from the Black Ops forces of Matt Graver have any stakes because none of them really get, I mean, some of them get shot. Some of them get hit in the breastplate or whatever. And then they yeah. just go on. I kind of like, he's like the Boba Fett. He's just, <laughs> I like he, him. He's an interesting background character that we it, pay attention to. It would have been an interesting choice to have his head blown off in the movie, in a movie like this. Like here's a, here's a guy who's in all, you know, both movies. And now all of a sudden, Oh, now there are some stakes, you know, the, now, it no, could be true that Alejandro, I think it would have made Alejandro's living or resurrection or whatever. I think it would have made that more palatable. No, I, I get what you're saying. I understand why the movie kept him around though. Cause they needed someone to bounce lines off of, you know, Josh Brolin needs someone yeah. to emote to. Yeah. So <laughs> with his weepy eyes. So uh, well, wait a minute. Why does he save the girl at the end? He's just had enough of this shit. See, that's or, what my dad, shite. my dad's, my dad's point of view. My dad's point of view on that was, it's the humanity. They've <laughs> they've changed. They're humans. They're all. The, I'm like, wait. These two guys go, undergo two character arcs, and at the and at the very end, they re arc back because now Sicario, 
three is going to be the hunt for revenge. And I agree where Belnicio del Toro in the first film mows down a whole family. And I mean, the kids are the same age, as right. the Girl in this. And, and there's a girl in that one in the first movie. I think too. I okay. think I, like I thought it was two, or two three. boys, but, it, it, but yeah, anyway, I mean, they're kids. <laughs> yeah. And we don't have any qualms about it. Uh, I guess this movie's trying to be more redemptive and I don't think it works, but yeah, Oh, well, I'm glad I saw it. It's a nice palate cleanse from the normal box office fair of the summer. I guess there is one more question. Do you have any predictions for the third one? Does Emily Blunt's character come back? Yeah, I think they try and get really? her to come back. The problem is she's blowing up so big. Um, you know, she Mary was in, Poppins. She was in Quiet Place earlier this year and got a lot of rave reviews. She's doing Mary Poppins later on this year. That comes out, I think, in December, probably and Christmas Day. And apparently they're getting close to doing uh, Edge of Tomorrow 2. And mm-hmm. she's going to routine with Tom Cruise. So her dance card might just be too filled up for her Would, to return for another film. Oh, come on, man. Take a page out of Samuel Jackson's book. You could be in 10, 15 movies a year. But would she? What would you call that movie? Live, Die, Repeat, Live? What, oh, oh, the sequel? Uh, yeah, the sequel to... I have no idea what they're going to call it. You, you I'm in for it. I like the first one. Live that repeat or uh, repeater. I know it was based on a graphic novel. I'll have to look to see if they ever made a sequel to it. All you need is kill. Yeah. Isn't that it? Yeah. Yeah. It was a good graphic novel. It, it's an easy read. All right. I'm going to predict for Sicario three day of the Irimanto or whatever, uh, that the little girl kills Emily Blunt and the guy from burn notice. Uh, and Catherine Keener. a vicious killer. Yeah. And Deborah Winger. <laughs> she gets involved somehow. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. So that's uh, Sicario Day of the Soldado. Uh, a quick bots office challenge update. Ooh, yeah. Um, you happen to be winning right now. Uh, by quite a bit. You are up by $252 million. Oh, wait a minute. Is this updated? This is updated as of Monday. That was the last day I could get oh, okay. bots well, office up- numbers for. I updated it. For, I mean, today, this morning. Yeah, I got I got me up three hundred and thirty three million. <laughs> I mean, we we could run over the numbers if you want, but maybe not over the podcast. Okay. At any rate, if it's only two fifty, if it's between two fifty and three thirty, that's that's higher than the total of any other movie other than uh, Avengers. I don't see how you're beating me by that much. Well, I, we can. We, okay, well, we'll we can do that off air. Well, Jurassic we, World is two twenty six or two sixty six. Uh-huh. Sicario, <laughs> I don't know. Sicario's twenty one. Yeah. Solo, one fifty nine or one forty nine, and Avengers is four fifty three. Uh, okay, like I said, we can do the numbers. Right, we'll, we'll I know numbers. reading numbers to an audience is very boring. But I do. You're know up a quarter of a million. You're not listening to this today because I won't. We won't re- have it out there until later. But. First Purge, I have. I get. I'm going to have that too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got Hotel Transylvania coming up. That's going to be huge for me. But I don't think I'm going to have another hundred million dollar film. I think you might potentially have three. No, maybe three hundred million dollar films. Okay. I, I mean, I feel solid about two of them. I, I think I've got solid seventy or eighties. Maybe another two of those. But yeah. well, you got Ant Man. Skyscraper and uh, Mission Impossible. Yeah, I don't know if Skyscraper is going to break 100. It's got a chance. Yeah, I, I feel solid at making 80 to 90 million. 
over 10 days. And then Mamma Mia, I think, can might get up to 70. Mamma Mia is... Oh, wait. Isn't Mamma Mia done? No. No, Mamma no, Mia, Mama Mia does not. Yeah, the 20th of July. Yeah, I don't have any... I don't have any movies that I think will get over 60 or 70 million total over 10 days, except for Hotel Transylvania. That's the only one I think I have left. The numbers I ran in the month of July, I should make up over $200 million versus the films you have coming out. You have First Purge, Hotel Transylvania, Equalizer 2, and Teen Titans Go the Movies, where I have Ant-Man, Skyscraper, Mamma Mia 2, Mission Impossible Fallout. I think I'm going to make up an easy 200 million on you in the month of July, and then it comes down no, I, to your last two films and my last three. Well, your your last film, Replicas, isn't coming out until September. So oh, they moved back the date yeah. in Greece. It might not even come out in America. Oh, I thought I saw a release date of August. All right, for, maybe uh, I'm we'll, wrong. We'll see. Oh, your but last movie's Replicas. Still, that's not going to do much. I, I think your numbers might be a little screwy, but we'll see. Okay, we'll see. fair enough. All right, so that's that's going to be the box office challenge, and and. Looking forward to my, I mean, I'm feeling good about my chances. Okay. Winning another one. Cool, cool. Well, <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. All right. So if you want to weigh in on the box office challenge or this movie Sicario or let us know whatever other movie you want us to watch, where should you go if you're an audience member? Uh, you have a couple choices. You can email us at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com. You can message us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash thelaughpodcast. And we're also on Twitter. Uh, at the laugh podcast so send us a tweet we'll be happy to read uh the messages that people send in and their reviews on sicario too also if there's a film coming out this summer that you'd like to hear us review send in that you're gonna go see that ant-man yeah probably yeah i'm, I'm seeing quite a few movies the other day at the right. box office there was only one film that was playing that i had not seen oh wow the, the joys of movie pass movie pass way to go man so, all right well we hope you enjoy your summer listeners out there i hope you enjoy the rest of the movies you're going to watch mr bull we'll be back with another film review at some point in the near future maybe some news about the show so uh looking forward to seeing you again very soon it's been a pleasure pox at bonum everybody there be dragons <laughs> <laughs>